Welcome to this SWP TV live broadcast brought to you from the Socialist Workers Party. Today we're discussing the establishment, class politics and the COVID crisis. If you're a veteran of our broadcast that we've been doing uh, during the lockdown, then welcome back. If it's your first time watching, then welcome. It's great to have you here. Um, we've got three fantastic guests who are joining us today to discuss the topic. Um, the first of whom is Fran Manning. Fran is a primary school teacher in South London. She's also a rep with the National Education Union. We're also going to be joined by Angela McCormick. Angela is a uh, EIS and fellow rep in Glasgow. Uh, she's also active in the COVID action group there. And I should say that both Fran and Angela are members of the Socialist Workers Party where they are. And finally, but last but not least, we're going to be joined by Wayman Bennett. Um, Wayman is a longtime anti-racist activist. He's a co-convener of Stand Up to Racism, and he's also a member of the Socialist Workers Party. Um, first things first, though, we want to hear from you at home as well. We want you to be involved in the discussion that takes place this afternoon. So please do keep your comments, your questions, and whatever else you want to raise with our panel, please do comment them on the Facebook comment section and on YouTube. We're live on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube today. And most importantly, please do give this video a share. Click that share button in front of you. Give us a like, send the link around. We want to get as many people watching as possible. Um, we're going to aim to be live for around an hour today, and we want to cover quite a lot of grounds. Um, it's been quite an eventful week politically. We're going to start by talking about what I think has been the biggest story of the week, which is the coming scandal. Uh, the Ferrari really surrounding Dominic Cummings uh, and his infamous drive up to Durham and to Barnard Castle. Um, earlier this week, Boris Johnson said that the British, pub, the British public should make up their own minds about Dominic Cummings. Uh, I think millions have, and millions have concluded that he should have been sacked a long time ago. Uh, and I think there's a general agreement that the whole scandal shows that it's one rule for the establishment and one rule for the rest of us. Um, we shouldn't look too much at the polls. We shouldn't be too distracted by polling numbers or read too much into them. But it was interesting to see a poll that came out on Tuesday, the day after Cummings' infamous uh, press conference in the Downing Street Garden. Uh, that poll that came out put Boris Johnson's approval ratings at minus 1%. That's a fall from plus 44% two months ago and 26% a month before that. So there's no doubt the whole scandal has put the government on the back foot. We're going to be discussing the implications for that and how we can build the resistance uh, against them. We're also going to be having a chat about um, the government's new drive to end the lockdown and to force people back to work and particularly to reopen the schools on Monday, despite the opposition of union, despite the opposition of workers and teachers on the ground, and also despite the opposition from some of the government's leading scientists themselves. The final thing we're going to talk about if we've got time is the international picture and what's going on in the states um the revolt really that has erupted in response to the death of george floyd in minneapolis killed by a white policeman and the black lives matter protests that have taken place there so we've got a lot to get through um bear with us like i say keep, please do keep sharing please keep liking and sending the link around i can see there's hundreds watching already um the first thing i want to touch on though is the scandal around Dominic Cummings. And I'm going to bring in Fran Manning. Um, Fran, like I said, is a primary school teacher in South London. She's the National Education Union rep in our school, so very much 
at the forefront of the resistance to the government's plans at the moment. Um, Fran, as a teacher, as someone who's been told they have to be back in on the classroom on Monday, how does that feel having seen what the government have done to protect someone like Dominic Cummings earlier this week? Well, firstly, I mean, like, how is this guy even in the government? Like, he's not elected. He's not even in the Conservative Party. He's some advisor to Boris Johnson and obviously one with a lot of power. So that whole thing is sketchy for a start and raises, you know, a lot of questions about do we even live in a democracy? And then the man has got the audacity to sit there and give a press conference telling us that he went for a 30 mile drive to test his eyesight. And that the reason he made a five hour long car journey with his four year old child in the back was because he thought he was about to get really ill. I mean, how dare he? You know, when people when most people think they're about to get really ill, they go and get themselves some ginger and some night nurse and get an early night. They don't take a long drive across the country. You know, he broke the rules. That's very clear to see. And not just that, but he broke the rules that he set for everyone else and was in favour of harsh penalties for everyone else for breaking them. You know, people got fined for taking long car journeys. There was in towns in the north of England, people got their shopping bags searched by police and told that it wasn't an essential journey because they bought biscuits or because they bought an Easter egg or something. And this man, instead of having, you know, a little bit of humility after what people in this country have been put through by this government, you know, all the families that have lost someone and not been able to go to their funeral because they had to quarantine, all the health workers who stayed apart from their children to stop the spread of the virus, instead of having a little bit of standard human decency to actually say sorry, the man sits there and lies to us like we're idiots. You know, it's one rule for them, like you said, and one, you know, one rule for the rest of us. And that's what it's been the whole way through this. Look now, they're telling us to open up the schools. They're not opening Eton or Harrow. I had a colleague message me today to say, why aren't Prince William and Kate sending their child back to school? You know, and then the worst part is that they try and make out they're doing this for disadvantaged children. Children, by the way, who are disadvantaged because of conservative governments uh, and who are going to be a lot more disadvantaged if people in their family die from the virus, which we know, you know, has hit poorest the poorest communities the hardest. So, you know, they reckon we've got around eight, that they estimate we've got around 8,000 new cases of coronavirus every single day in this country. The first wave of the virus isn't even over and they're leading us into the second. And the real reason, you know, one of their ministers said it on TV last weekend, Alok Sharma's name is, he said there has to be a trade off. This is a quote. There has to be a trade off between the health of the public and the health of the economy. And when they say the public, by the way, they're not talking about them. They mean us. So, you know, this whole Dominic Cummings thing. Why it's made people so angry really is because it just sort of encapsulates the entire way they treated us throughout this, which is with contempt. You know, you've got people like Boris Johnson standing there and clapping for the NHS after everything his party's done to destroy it, after all the health workers that have died because his government couldn't even sort out PPE. You know, we've got the second highest death toll in the world. I mean, for God's sake, our country's now a pariah state. We're not allowed to travel to other countries. Greece has taken us off the safe list because of our infection levels. They let elderly people die in care homes without proper care, without, sending, uh, without them being allowed to go to hospitals, without giving them end of life care. This government should be covered with shame. They should be groveling in apology to the people of this country. And instead, they're on our TV screens, treating us like we're stupid, telling us lies that are gonna kill more people. So I think, yeah, frontline workers are very angry, just like a lot of people. Thanks a lot for that, Fran. I think, I think you're right to point to the way in which the establishment have very much closed ranks 
around Cummings, despite him openly breaking the rules. I want to bring in Angela. Angela's a trade unionist in Glasgow, an EIS fellow rep there. Um, Angela, why is it, do you think, that Johnson has decided to stick by Cummings? And why do you think he can ride this out? Or he thinks he can ride this out? Yeah, that's a good question. Because just what um, Fran was saying, when you hear it, it's so... The, the disdain, the arrogance, the clear contempt um, that they hold us in is so galling. I think that's sort of uh, what's made this quite a sort of crucial point. Um, also because it's occurring, it's sharpening with the weekend before they're forcing children and school staff to go back to schools, risking their lives and communities. So it's really sharpened everything. Um, complete contempt. One, why, why does he think he can ride it out? So there's a number of possible answers. One, they really do hold us in contempt. He does not care. He's arrogant. His whole life, Boris Johnson, Dominic, their whole lives have been shaped by an experience where it really does seem that you can do what you like, have as little talent or intelligence, and it still all works out. So it may be that he thinks he's just going to ride it out and it'll all work out. There's also another thing, um, as Fran was saying as well, with it. The UK, with the second highest death rates in the world, with 8,000 new cases, with 400 new hospital admissions. There is a real question of control here now for the government. So people who believe through their schooling, their class background, their establishment experience and links that they, you know, deserve to rule. It can be quite scary to see the scale of the reaction and response. You see, to them, it might be that 60,000 deaths is just another day in the office. But there's a lot of deep anger, concern, um, a lot of desire to save lives. And when you see people ignoring the rules that they set for everyone else, that people observe it of a sense of solidarity and community and care for one another, then they've got a right to be worried. I think they fear um, partly losing control if he's forced to get rid of his friend, whatever his role is, Cummings, his um, crucial advisor, does that open up other vulnerabilities in his government? I mean, these people really do fear losing control. So Boris Johnson, the Tories, the government, the establishment round about it, and they will do anything, I would think. I think they really would do anything to hold on to it. Um, they will lie. They will make numbers up. They will repeat lies endlessly. They will refuse to apologise in the face of clear wrong. They will ignore one million people signing a petition. Um, so our job really as a socialist is to keep up that pressure, is to sharpen it and, and to get these breakthroughs, you know, to recognise how angry we are as a class and how we're being treated. I think you're right there, Angela, to talk about the, the anger. Um, and I want to bring in Wayman at this point, Wayman Bennett who's a long-time anti-racist activist, because there's clearly lots of anger, right? And there's lots you can unpick from the whole Cummings scandal. Um, personal favourite of mine is about how the way in which Cummings has built a career, apparently talking for the so-called left-behind British working class, um, and then you find out that he flees to his family home that doesn't have just his parents' home on it, but has a place where his brothers lives, and then another spare property on it. So his family would with three properties on it. This is a man who's supposed to be talking for working class people in Britain. But I want to step back a bit, Wayman, and I really want to ask the question, what do you think the whole scandal says about 
who really runs Britain and about how that establishment operate in the 21st century? I think a degenerated ruling class runs Britain and Dominic Cummins is, is part of that. And if you look at the figures, the six richest people in um, Britain have the same amount of wealth as 13 million people. And what really happens is there is one law for them and one law for us. There's a young man called Desmond, who's a hospital worker, who was in Manchester, was stopped by the police. He was tasered. Compare, look what happened to Dominic Cummings. He drives 260 miles and says he's doing it to test his eyesight. He's doing it to test our patients. He's doing it to see if we accept the lies that he puts forward. And one of the reasons why he does that is because Marx said the ruling ideas in any society, the ideas of the ruling class. They feel that they can tell us anything and cover us with lies. And one of the things he said, um, Dominic Cummings, is that he's influenced by eugenics ideas. And he said that he wanted in the civil service to seek weirdos and misfits, which he's one of, by the way, um, and reflects what's wrong with our, our society. He said, I don't want confident public school people from Eton, school bluffers, to be in control. But that's who's in control of our society. You get tasered if you're working class. 15,000 fines handed out to them. And then they turn around and say, let's, Boris Johnson, what did he say? Let's draw a line under this. Can you imagine if you're from Tottenham or Brixton and you're stopped and they give you a ticket for breaking the lockdown? He turned around and said, I'd like to draw a line under this and let it go. That's not what would happen. The experience would be completely different. And what they represent is a class of people based on privilege, wealth, and the whole of the system lines up in order to defend them. And sometimes it's so bad and they're so exposed that they put forward so many lies that people don't believe them. And they've always done this. 2008, 57 billion pounds was used to bail out Northern Rock, to bail out the richest people in this country. Who did they blame? They used racism to divide and rule. And we have to understand what we're faced with here with Dominic Cummings is the most disgusting set of the elites trying to cover up their own crimes in terms of the, million, the, the thousands of people that have died. It was these people that said, the coined the phrase herd immunity. And the most chilling thing about his interview was when he turned around and said, I thought there was going to be a pandemic that took place. Out of all the lies, it's the only thing that he said that was true. And who's paid the price? In reality, we have paid the price uh, for that. Disproportionate deaths of black communities have paid the price, the devastation. But on top of that, they do nothing in order uh, to stop it. And what they do instead is encourage us to go, they encourage us to break the lockdown. Actually, the lockdown is about breaking us and it's about putting profits before people. It's about, again, defending the six richest people inside this world. And at the end of the day, we have to turn around to people like Dominic Cummings. And I don't believe we're alone. As, when Dominic Cummings first went out and spoke, they said that 55% um, of people may have, you know, were opposed to him. After he spoke, more people opposed him. We shouldn't forget we are the majority on this question. The question is, how do we make sure something happens? The first thing is, stay at home. He's the man that coined the phrase, get Brexit done. His new phrase, by the way, is get people killed. Our, our, our reality should be stay alive and don't listen to people like Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings and stand together. It's, it's interesting you finish on that, Wayman. I want to move on now to talk about the attempts by the government to, to ease the lockdown and to get people back to work and school. But before I do that, I just want to say that there's around 350 people watching 
on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. So please do give this video a share. Uh, hit the like button, send the link around your WhatsApp groups, and also do keep your comments and your questions coming. We want to hear from you at home, and we'll be reading some out a bit later on in the discussion. Um, I think one of the ways in which Johnson tried to move on from the coming scandal is to try and announce new measures to ease the lockdown and to send people back to work, and especially to open some schools on Monday. Um, I guess the question I have, and I want to bring Angela in on this, which is we've seen a lot of opposition to this. Uh, the teachers' unions, uh, people who work in schools. We've also seen uh, leading government advisors. I think it's now four uh, of the scientists on the SAGE committee have come out and said that the reopening of schools on Monday is, is, is unsafe. I want to ask you the question, Angela. Um, why are they sending us back to work when there's still such a big risk with the virus? Yeah, why? Um, solidarity to every um, school teacher, school staff member, you know, pupil and families. Um, real, we want to send you solidarity. So why are they trying to send people back when it's clear there's such a big risk? If you like, for the start of the pandemic, one of the kind of rallying cries, one of the key um, things that people organised around as, as activist trade unionists is the slogan, people before profit. And Absolutely, that is now again sharpening and coming to the fore because the drive to ease out of the lockdown, first of all, we as ordinary working class people pushed forward the lockdown, um, argued for safety first, I think, and forced um, governments to have to respond to that. Um, they are clearly with this rush um, to force people back into unsafe working conditions after thousands of deaths. Um, they are clearly prioritising profits over lives. Sometimes when you listen to the, the you know, the press reports, the, the government responses, the, the commentators, you're often asked to feel more sympathetic towards businesses who are losing money than families and communities and people who have lost family members. Um, and that's another indication, and we're seeing that now. The biggest threat for the... The ruling class, the establishment, the Tories, the biggest threat to them is the, the drying up of the profits, how the system is grinding a halt. They need people to keep going. They need those um, wheels of industry to turn. And that's where schools come in. So we look and we see it's not about a safety decision. So we're talking about 8,000 new infections every day still in England, not counting hospitals and care homes. Um, we have got the fifth highest incidence in the world in the UK of the COVID. Um, and one of the quotes from one of the uh, SAGE advisors, the Professor of Infectious Disease Modelling at the School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, so I think I would rather listen to this individual, they said the relatively high incidence um, along with relaxing the measures and the absolutely untested track and trace system, and he puts it kind of mildly and says we're taking some risk here with this rush to the schools come back and um, to be officially in out of lockdown. Another individual for the SAGE, um, same thing. COVID-19 spreading too fast. It's too fast to lift the lockdown. Test, trace and isolate has to be in place, has to be fully working and has to be capable of dealing with any future surge um, in COVID-19. So we see this morning, just today, the inside story of someone who has been employed as a contact tracer in this vital system 
that is absolutely crucial in guaranteeing safe working, safe communities, um, and a safe return to any kind of schools. And what does this contact tracer describe? A system of chaos, and they say no truth that we're properly set up to fight any increase in the infection rate. They match their experience inside the contact tracing as a relentless problem with the system is just like the pandemic without a cure. Um, it's clearly a political decision. Profits have been prioritised over people's health. Um, they're trying to present everything as normal when clearly it's not. I can see a couple of comments coming in here, um, chiming with what Angela's just said. I can see Josh from Glasgow says that Johnson and Cummings are handing out money and they'll want ordinary workers to pay it back. They'll do this to prop up the profits of big business while people are unemployed and unable to pay rent and buy food. So please do keep your comments and questions coming. We will read them out to our panel. I guess what Josh just commented there um, fits in with what I wanted to ask Fran, um, Fran Manning at NEU Rep in South London, which is that both in terms of the impact of the COVID crisis and the resistance to the worst effects of it, I feel like the question of class has become uh, increasingly relevant. I feel like you hear discussions about key workers, about workplaces, about unions on the everyday news. What do you think, Fran, the crisis says about the nature of class in Britain today? Well, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because when the pandemic really kind of hit the UK, you saw these fault lines suddenly sort of breaking out, you know, all the way through society that really expose the class system that underlies uh, capitalism. Because on the one side, you had, you know, people who benefit from the system, people like Lord Alan Sugar, who was quarantining in his mansion in California, telling us that we should all keep going to work and that, you know, COVID is just a bit of flu. Um, you know, the lockdown's an overreaction. And on the other side, of course, you had people that wanted a lockdown because they didn't, they didn't want to die at work. I know, wild, isn't it? Um, and of course, it's also shown us, you know, who are actually the people who do the important work, you know, the essential work whose labour actually keeps society running. It's not hedge fund managers, is it? Uh, and yet, even though society only exists because of the work that these people do, you know, nurses, bus drivers, supermarket workers, cleaners, um, you know, without these essential workers, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to survive. They're often the lowest paid, you know, they're, they're poorly treated. They've been most exposed to the virus um, and they've died also in disproportionate numbers from it. Um, and also they have no real say. You know, we get no real say in how our workplaces are run in how societies run. You know, think of cleaners for a long time. They've been really looked down on, treated like they're they're not important, like it's not a proper job. When actually, my God, aren't cleaners essential for everybody? Um, I think it's also put that question of. You know, who gets to say who has control quite front and centre for a lot of workers um, and people are starting to learn that actually, if we stand together, we can be the ones who get to decide. And obviously, you know, unions have been crucial in this. Um, you know, there was Dyson, wasn't there? The Dyson uh, company that told their admin workers in one of their big offices that they had to go back to work when it was clearly unsafe. The admin workers knew it wasn't safe. So they got together in their union. I think it was Unite. And they said no. And Dyson had to back down. Um, you know, the government's telling schools to increase pupil numbers on Monday. And, you know, teachers and the other school staff, we know it's not safe. And in lots and lots of schools and boroughs across the country, we've managed to push back that date uh, for reopening, some to 
uh, the 8th of June, some to the 15th of June, when obviously the independent sages said it would be safer, not safe, by the way, just safer. Um, I heard from a, 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 a union official yesterday that only 15% of primary schools are going to be going ahead with the reopening on Monday. You know, that's a big achievement. And that is because we've stood together. You know, that's why we've had 20,000 new members join the National Education Union. It's over that that key question, you know, who gets to say, who gets to decide? So I think, you know, that Marxist argument that the people that do the work should be the ones to make the decisions about the work is not actually some abstract old slogan. It's very real for workers and it's actually a matter of life and death for us right here in 2020. Just on that question about life and death, we've got a comment here from Milan from Bristol who says that leading virologists are indicating a second wave is not a distant possibility, but an imminent threat, considering the pace with which the lockdown is being eased. And he, Milan's asking what would become of everything if there is a second wave. Um, please do keep your comments and questions coming and please do keep giving us a share. I can see there's around 350 people watching already. Let's try and get that up to 400 if we can. Um, Wayman, I want to bring you back in here because one of the big issues around the COVID crisis has been the way in which uh, the BAME community in Britain and in the States have been affected and the issue of how race and class have, have impacted on the crisis. We're going to come to be talking about uh, Minneapolis and the revolt that's happening there in a moment. Obviously, a lot has been written about the way in which BAME communities have been impacted. I just wanted to ask you, Ray, Wayman, if we step back, what does the, the impact on a BAME community say about racism and the British state today? Racism has always been at the heart of capitalism. It was started with parts of the, the boost for capitalism came out of slavery and imperialism. And at the heart of that has always been the question of dividing black and white. Frederick Douglass famously said that they divide each to conquer both in order to make wealth. And that is shown on a daily basis for the last 300 years, but it's writ large in um, the lives that have been lost. I mean, I've led, I've been part of many campaigns, Stephen Lawrence campaign, various different campaigns where people have fought for people's lives. But I've never seen a situation where so many people have been, have lost their lives in, the, in this disaster. The report shows from the RCN that um, 37, that you're seven times more likely to die if you're inside uh, on, on a ventilator, four times more likely to die of the disease um, itself. And what it shows is the way that um, racism sharpens class, uh, class, class divisions. Um, if you look at something like the health service, there was a report by the RCN that said that um, people were not given proper PPE. It's not an accident. It was like sending people into a radiation um, area without giving them protection. And the, that the staffs were shifted from one place to the other, um, black staff to COVID wards. Um, indiscriminately. My mother was a nurse who helped to build the National Health Service as part of the Windrush generation. This discrimination is not an accident. It came with a hostile environment. It's embedded in a way that the ruling class tried to divide different communities by blaming immigrant and non-immigrant in the same way as they blamed the Irish in the 19th century. It's absolutely deeply put in there. And there's deep anger in, in, inside the black community. I'm very proud to say that when um, Boris Johnson apparently was popular, that he never was very popular amongst uh, 
black people, except for maybe Trevor Phillips. He might have been popular with uh, uh, Trevor Phillips because Trevor Phillips started off in the ghetto and then he moved to Hampstead. And when you live in Hampstead and look down on Tottenham, you have a different type of life. So even amongst black people, there's class divisions and they're able to hire somebody in order to, um, to, uh, to, to, uh, to, to divide and, and divide and rule. And so when you look at the deaths, when they turned around, and I mean, one of the things I think is important is that the anger about black deaths actually hits a multiracial thing, multiracial. Even Priti Patel was forced to accept that the payment that they tried to charge extra um, particular immigrant and black workers had to be removed because popular people could see that technically they say we're all in it together, but they've always encouraged race and division. There's enormous rage and unpent and, uh, and, and pent up anger uh, um, about what's uh, about what's taken place, and you know, I'm I'm just want to say in the first month, look at the picture of the nurses and the doctors of the deaths that took place. Unfortunately, they were 100 percent black from the from the black communities, and what that reflects is at the heart of our society that our society is multiracial workers, but black workers particularly are in the centre of it, and that it's integrated. And part of the fight back, part of the anger, will always come. From, from, uh, from that direction. Racism actually divides and makes it harder for us. And I wanna say, the final thing I really wanna say is that look at the way that they use the whole kind of um, Islamophobia to attack people. And look at that young nurse with the hijab who died and the way that they try to present those people as being terrorist, as somebody who wears a scarf or covering their face as being a problem. Racist ideology has been always used to divide and rule, and it's part of the way that our society has been uh, has been, been been organized. Karl Marx famously said, "It comes that capitalism came into the world dripping with blood and dirt, and and that is the heart of it. That they use that, and then actually that's what's taken place. Um, that's what's that's what's taken that's what's taking place now. And I, I I argue that we shouldn't forgive and forget. This is not an aberration. It's part of the way." Uh, the, the the system works, and at the moment, I think that black workers are the brunt of it, and they should not. At no time we should boycott. We should boycott like they did in apartheid. We should boycott the way that Rosa Parks um, did. And actually, at the heart of that, I think that the socialists, the left, that's a, that's there's a revolutionary tradition, a socialist tradition amongst black people for resistance, and that's what broke slavery, Toussaint Louverture. That's what broke um, apartheid. That's what broke all those kind of things. And what we have to do is find that spirit today and add it to make sure that people like Boris Johnson, Dominic Cummings, and the rest of those people. I'm glad to say on social media, I think they're scumbags. Um, those scumbags, right, actually don't end up costing us lives and then using racism and then the blunt of those people, the black communities. I'm going to shut up, I'm, but I'll, I'll stop there. I could go on forever about those people, but I know I want people to say something too, so I'll stop there. Well, thanks for that, Wayman. And just on the question of boycott, I know that parents are organising uh, on Monday and, you know, in the weeks that follow to stop their kids going into school. I know there's groups called Parents for Safe Return. And I know that Stand Up to Race and the group that Wayman's part of have launched a campaign for an independent public inquiry into the pain death. So check out Stand Up to Race's website, their social media and so on and support that campaign. Uh, if you've just tuned in, welcome. You're watching the SWTV live broadcast discussing the establishment class politics and the COVID crisis. Please give us a share if you can. Uh, and if you want to join us, if you want to join the Socialist Workers Party, there is a link uh, in the description. You can go to bit.ly forward slash join SWP. Um, I want to move on now to move the discussion on to talking about the question of resistance 
uh, and what we can do about it. For a while, you know, we've been arguing that it's important not to just watch a crisis unfurl, but as there are more threats to our lives, for people to get organised, to get active and to get resisting. Um, one of the biggest cards that the government has played um, seems to be the card that we're all in this together. And I want to bring Angela in on this. Um, Angela McCormick, who's joining us from Glasgow. The government keep beating the drum that mm -hmm. the COVID uh, virus is a great leveller, that it impacts us all equally, and that we're all in this together, and that we all have to you know, suck it in. Uh, and I'm sure they'll use this for years to come, with the recession that's coming, the austerity, the cuts to jobs, to wages, and so on. I guess I wanted to just ask you, Angela, how we can push back against that, and against that idea that we're all in this together. Yeah, it is this, we're all in it together. It's pretty painful, um, and it's absolutely central to the defence of this unequal system. It's really peaks and troughs. You know, peaks are about royal weddings or celebrations of wars. Um, you really need to work some. Um, a couple of things on it. Interestingly, I think probably Dominic Cummings has done quite a lot to reveal that this we're all in it together, how little that applies. Um, and often you have to ask yourself, the more a government or a group of people just keep repeating the same thing, we're all in this together, oh, look, it's all an equaliser, it does make you think, you know, I'm a socialist, I'm a Marxist, I don't think we're all in it together. But really, they keep drawing attention to it. And the kind of things that they're drawing attention to is the absolute vast inequality in terms of how people have experienced this um, pandemic. Who's just described the absolute devastation on black and minority ethnic people and the centrality of people, uh, the black minority ethnic communities and migrant communities to our health service. Um, but you look across the board, um, for example, if you take women workers, women are predominantly, I mean, the vast majority of NHS, caring staff, cleaning staff, retail workers are all women. Yet 70% of all the people who are not entitled to statutory sick pay are women. We're all in it together. If you look at the question of class income inequality, um, if you're a low paid manual worker, you're four times more likely to die of the COVID virus. Your work, the kind of work you experience puts you more at risk. You're, it's, you have to, you know, if you're in a factory work, if you're in an area where you don't have a lot of control, you're more likely to be in proximity with people. Look at some of these stories that are coming out of food production factories, cleaner security guards, bus workers, construction workers, forced onto, packed onto trains, sent onto construction sites to do luxury building. Um, they're at greater risk. But on top of that, when you get home, you're more likely to be in overcrowded accommodation. You're less likely to have the option of 10 bedrooms in a mansion or your father's local outhouse, cottage, or local woods to go for a wandering. The access to gardens and green space and park space, again, we know there's less, um, you know, um, slightly safer places to be. So on every level, we're not in it together. One of the central images to me that will stay with me um, through the whole of this thing was actually the image of the Las Vegas car park. And for me, it's quite early on when it was all about the social distancing, the two metres rule. And in Las Vegas, um, the city in the world with the highest proportion of hotel rooms that were all empty, they had laid white line markers on the ground so that the homeless people could socially distance while they slept. And I kid you not, that will stay with me. If there's anything that makes you think this system is wrong, 
It's homeless people being socially distanced on the ground with the backdrop of a million empty hotel rooms. This doesn't safety, a well-being, or any kind of security for ordinary working class people. And we are seeing that really sharply just now when they urge people to go back to school, send your children back to school, go on to buses and trains that we've not guaranteed are safe. We don't have face masks for you. We can't guarantee that you'll be tested, that there'll be contact tracing or isolation. Keep doing it. Meanwhile, you know, we should be cheery that Amazon sales have gone up by 26% in the last couple of months and their profits are at 62 billion. And that's just for the first quarter of 2020. Jeff Bezos is getting 30% richer in two months. See, shows you it can be done. Just get out there and work hard. And, and yet yeah, Amazon workers who demand health work and safe working conditions get sacked. So are we all linked together? No. I just want to finish a wee quote from Mike Davis, a US American socialist. And he says, this is really, I quite like this because he's described how he, in an immunological sense, in terms of response to fighting off disease and infection, there are two humanities. There's one humanity that's well-fed, generally in good health, and has access to medicine. And there's a second humanity that depends on medical systems that were in large part destroyed, he says, in the 1980s and 1990s. So we came in as a country, the UK, we had an absolutely devastated, attacked health service care system because of the politics of those in charge and the rush for privatisation and private profit. So don't be letting any single one of them tell us that we're in it together. And I think we can push back against that quite effectively because Dominic Coven's opened that um, 260-mile wild road. Thank you, Angela. On, on that question of, of pushing back, uh, and what we can do. I've got some questions that are, are a bit related to that, because uh, I'm going to bring Fran in next, who's a teacher. We got a question from Howard Wilson, who asks, Monday morning, the media and TV stations will have blanket coverage of the schools that have returned. How do we combat that? Uh, we've also got a comment from Karen Reisman, who's a nurse in, in Manchester. She says, uh, they messed up support in the NHS. Why would we trust them on schools? And obviously you're a teacher, Fran, and in some ways it's been inspiring to see the resistance um, that teachers have been involved in, especially in the National Education Union. And I heard last week there was a mass meeting of 20,000 reps, which must be breaking some sort of records, I'm sure. The question I wanted to ask you, Fran, is obviously June the 1st, Monday morning, is a big date, uh, but the government will try and stagger this across a number of weeks. How do you think we can best spread the resistance against Johnson and against the Tories, not just from the teachers, but spread it more widely? Well, I think, you know, obviously the, the June the 1st is a key day. You know, there's the battle over the safe reopening of schools, which people should support. Um, and it's been great to see some of the solidarity actions that have been going on with date, days of actions and uh, days of action and social distance protests and things like that. Um, and we shouldn't see Monday as the end of it either. You know, it looks like we could well be on our way to a second wave of the virus. Obviously, you know, Angela talked about the fact that um, there's the actual SAGE uh, government advisors now kind of breaking ranks and saying this is not safe. You know, and we've now got, you know, in my area, I've got reps suddenly saying, actually, my members are not so happy with, uh, you know, that we're planned to go back on Monday. And they're not so happy to do that now. So, um, you know, we definitely shouldn't see Monday uh, as the end of this. 
Um, and let's not forget, you know, it was teachers and parents who helped uh, who helped to force the Tories to implement uh, a lockdown in the first place. They didn't want to do it. Um, but the week before schools were actually uh, closed, it was absolute chaos in the schools. You know, you, know, you had uh, classes and schools closing down left, right and centre. So um, I think this is a struggle that will continue, you know, to, to, to blaze on, to rage on for some time. But I think also, you know, there's going to be many more battles to come over health and safety in the workplace, over the economic crisis. I mean, you know, they've said this is the biggest economic crisis that capitalism's ever known. And, you know, they're already talking about who's going to pay. You know, there's already articles in the media and the Telegraph uh, and places like that saying, you know, talking about, oh, let's split the cost between, you know, the, the young and the elderly. We're going to have to say, sorry, we're not paying for it. We're not paying for a lockdown that came too late and let 60,000 people die. That's what they reckon it is, 60,000 excess deaths. We're going to have to tell them you're paying. And with more than just money as well, because, you know, there's going to have to be some sort of, you know, inquiry after this into criminal um, criminal negligence, quite honestly. You know, I think that resistance will happen, right? There will be spontaneous uprisings, just like, you know, Wayman's been talking about in um, in Minnesota right now. Crises produce them. Crises produce resistance. You know, you can only push people so far, can't you? But what's not guaranteed, though, is that the anger that's generated by this government's shambolic behaviour and, you know, let's not forget 10 years of austerity and decades of falling living standards. Um, it's not guaranteed that that anger will necessarily be directed against against the Tories. You know, history shows us, doesn't it, that anger can, in certain conditions, um, be directed towards sections of working class people instead, towards ethnic, ethnic minorities, towards disabled people and refugees. Um, so I think, you know, a crucial question for us is how we focus that anger onto the Tories and onto the onto the system, you know, where it belongs. And obviously, you know, a key part of that is the trade unions um, and standing together, you know, inside our workplaces, but not not just that, you know, not just inside our unions, but also in solidarity with other unions and other groups of workers. And, you know, having been as a teacher, having been attacked in the Daily Mail and by Katie Hopkins and the right wing media, it really does make a big difference when you see, you know, other groups of workers and people from other unions saying, you know, we support you, we support um, we support teachers fighting for a safe return to schools. But also what I think is really key to the resistance is connecting those industrial struggles to all the other battles going on in society, you know, against racism, against police violence, against all forms of, uh, of oppression, really. And that, I think, is where the role of a revolutionary party comes in, you know, not only being involved in the resistance, although obviously that's crucial, but also linking up, you know, all those different all those different struggles and all that different uh, those different areas of resistance. And if you go back to, you know, the revolutionaries like Lenin and Trotsky, they weren't actually these like genius masterminds who just convinced people to revolt because they were great speakers. They said, you know, revolutionary situations happen. They happen organically because of uh, the way that capitalism is prone to crisis. And they said that when you get a big crisis and when people are suffering, then people will start to organise and fight back. You do get uh, resistance, you know, in, in unions and in workplaces, and you get what's called a revolutionary situation, you know, a situation where it's possible to overthrow capitalism and actually create a socialist society based on mass democracy, on equality and, and true freedom. Um, but they said it's only possible to do this to successfully overthrow capitalism if you have a revolutionary party.
you know, a party that gathers together uh, all those all those different struggles that are going on uh, and unites them really, you know, into a single fist that can uh, that can deal a blow uh, to the capitalist system. Well, just on that, Fran, on, on that much bigger picture, I want to I want to bring in Wayman because it seems to me, right, that all of us, uh, everyone who works, everyone who's got kids, everyone who's a parent and so on, uh, all has an important individual battle right now about the safety of their workplace, about their kids, what's going on in their union and so on. But I want to pick up on what Fran was saying about the bigger picture, Wayman, and really ask you, you know, for a lot of people, I think, COVID is the latest crisis of a system that means crisis. I mean, look at what's happening in the States. We'll come to that in, 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 at the end of the show. But also the climate crisis, the financial crisis and so on. And I guess the question I wanted to ask you, Wayman, is faced with such a deadly system that means so much death and destruction, how do you think is the best way of fighting for system change? I think struggle is at the, the heart of it. But also, we have to understand something. The ruling class that runs our society is incapable of running it. Uh, all I have to say is Donald Trump thought that, he'd, that you, he found he's on drugs that could stop it. I believe he's on drugs, by the way, um, but not the drugs he claims to be on. Whatever he's on, it, it's very dangerous. And uh, he should keep on taking it in the hope that it shortens his, his, his portion of part. I'll be careful what I say. But, um, you know, actually, I'm, why? Why be careful? I'm a socialist. I'm an international socialist who believes that people like Donald Trump represents a drive towards war and, and to a dangerous, a dangerous society, represents a group of people that are exploiting us. But actually, one thing that's exposed by COVID is about that we live in a global world. And if you say where Wuhan is or where Manchester is or what's happening in Africa or what's happening in Buenos Aires, the map of the world has been joined together. And what you show, shows very, very clearly is the people that run our society. I don't know if you noticed, but um, the boss of Virgin Atlantic has gone to his island, uh, Necker Island, and he stayed there. Um, has the world stopped? He's a billionaire. So presumably the world should stop running. Actually, nothing's happened. Um, if the 200 billionaires in the world disappeared, actually, fundamentally, the world would not stop because they're not the people that produce uh, produce the wealth. And when we talk about revol um, revolts and change, at the heart of that, I believe that we have to understand that what COVID exposes the need for to change and challenge the way that we live, uh, the, the way that we live our society. And the question you asked, Lewis, and the question that Fran, uh, 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 Fran raised, it was brilliant in actually that there's bus strikes in places in America against racism, because it shows the people that actually can control and shape our and shape, shape our society. I think the four horsemen of the apocalypse are, are riding. Um, they were disease and pestilence. Um, one of the things I say, Dominic Cummins said they knew it was coming. Everybody knew there was a pandemic, but they couldn't make global plans to do it and they couldn't make local plans to do it. And actually that's why there's such an uneven death rate. Britain apparently is um, world beating at killing its own people. We're top of the charts. You know, we've got gold medals now for slaughtering the innocent and now try and the people in there. We're top of that. The question of war. I don't know if people have read the Financial Times last week where Martin Wolf and you could hear Trump talk about this, about how they're ratcheting up the question of challenging each people. You have to ask yourself a question. How does that end? How does a battle between China and America end? What he said was it's very reminiscent of the things that led to the First World War, the battle between Germany and Britain about dominance over the world. And by the way, the phrase, we're all in it together, comes 
from before the Battle of the Somme. The Battle of the Somme is where they slaughtered 360,000 people, and it was led by the people from Eton. Um, Wellington described Eton as a place in which wars and battles are fought. George Orwell said is where they're lost as well in terms of a class society that we, uh, th that we live under. And one of the most important things that we have to understand is that some people sometimes come with, with, with halfway solutions. My best friends inside parts of the Labour Party have, have, have tried to change it by changing in there. My friends inside Syriza, my friends inside Podomus have tried to do this. What I think is, what it also shows is the need for international socialism, global socialism, and it also says something else. The people that have been missing from the battlefield a bit have been people like Keir Steimer have been very, very quiet, said we won't call for the sacking of Dominic Cummings. We have to have strategies that will lead to fundamental change. We live in a global world. We have a global working class. It's multiracial. There's different outcomes for different people. And we have to struggle to change our society. But we also have to understand it. It's a society that Marx talked about, hostile brothers fighting each other, going to war, ignoring us and exposing us. And that's the reason why we have to look for for change. Our watchword is international socialism. Thanks for that, Wayman. Um, if you want to join the Socialist Workers Party, you can do so at the link uh, on the side of this video, bit.ly forward slash join the SWP. Uh, I want to say a big thank you to Fran and Angela, but I want to keep Wayman with us um, because I want to move the discussion on now to the situation in the US. Um, we have obviously, since the murder of George Floyd by a cop in Minneapolis, we've really seen the US engulfed in flames, um, quite literally, in terms of the case of the police station in, in the third precinct of Minneapolis. Um, it seems now that every time you see a black person murdered in the States, it erupts into a much wider revolt, quite rightly, a much wider anger at the system, at institutional racism, and so on. Um, I really want, I saw actually, sorry, I saw today on social media, someone put it quite eloquently, someone who, who's in LA, I think, saying that this is a revolt for George Floyd, but it's also a revolt against racist America, and it's soon going to spread around the world. Wayman, I just wanted to bring in your thoughts on this. As a long-term anti-racist campaigner, as someone who's had a few brushes with the police yourself, I just wanted to see what your thoughts were about what was going on in the States at the moment. This is, this is Michael Brown, who was killed in Ferguson. I don't know if you can see it. And I went to Ferguson during, in 2014 during the, what they called the uprisings then. Um, and the figures show that um, five black people are killed at the hands of, of the police. I think there's a fundamental crisis, a schism, an expose of American society. When Kirkpatrick took a knee, he said there was something wrong with society and people like Trump said he should be sacked. I, to be honest, I've, I've witnessed many, many terrible things, but I think we have to say the rage that's taken place, the rage against the machine, if you like, has taken place is because people are so angry about what's taking place. 11 minutes, four police officers, you see them put their knee on the neck of, of, a, of a black man and watch him die. And you could hear people shouting, this is Eric Garner. These are all the other people that have died, which haven't been shown on film. And I don't believe it's gonna go away. Um, if you, the history of America is that there's always been revolts around it from 68, the rise of the Black Panthers, the anger that's in New York across the rest of, but also across the rest of the world. Racism and capitalism has fused together such a toxic mix when you think about people like Trump and Bannon and people like that who used it, the rise of white supremacists, 
I want to just remind people of a man called Dylan, um, who, who uh, Dylan Roof, who killed, um, who, who on the 17th of June 2015 in Charleston managed to he shot a 29 people and murdered them, and the police took him alive. Yet they can't take people alive when they uh, stop and search it. It's not because of Lenin described the state as not an accident, but uh, a body of armed people to protect the rich and the powerful in this country. The, when you join the police force, they say it's to protect the queen's peace and she's got an enormous piece of land and power and she's a billionaire. It's about protecting the rich and racism cuts into that. And I think that when you look at the anger that's taken place, people have risked their lives in order to go out and demonstrate both against COVID. And in America, the, the reason why people came out, that people said, why it's dangerous for you? People said it's dangerous right now to stay at home with nine people inside one house. And I, I think the anger that's taken place, there's part of the reason why we should have international solidarity with the demonstration. I think people are right to take to the streets. I think they're right to challenge what the police are doing. And actually, the, the truth of it is, the more they struggle, that's the time they've only got changed. But also we should understand, this is after we've had a black president. It's not enough just to have some black faces in high places. It's not enough to have somebody who says, I'll represent you and lead to change. What you need fundamentally is an upturn and a change in the way our society is going. Our, um, Connor West was on TV, said it's intrinsic to the way that American capitalism works and international capitalism works, that racism and capitalism was joined together at the birth. It can only be destroyed at its death in, a, in, a, in something that leads to fundamental change. And I was so happy that the bus workers refused to take people to the police station and then they weren't able to move the arrested because it points to the power of a class. It's the same as what happened in 1934 in that area when the Teamsters went on strike. The working class came to the front, the multiracial working class came to the front, and we have to remember that. We have to mourn the people that have died, but we also have to say this. We have to say, we have to um, remember the dead, murdered by the police, remember the dead, killed by COVID, killed by a negligent, billionaire, vicious war, mongering class that gave us wars, we also have to um, fight for the future. And that I do think there is a thing. The last time we saw the Black Panthers, the last time we saw Malcolm X, let's do better this time and follow Lenin, Trotsky and Rosa Luxemburg and have a better outcome to it. And Trotsky was Jewish. He was representing the black people of Russia. That's what he said inside one of his, inside one of his books. If it worked in Russia, the first part of the revolution, why can't we have it here? Why can't we have the challenge for change here? That's the reason why I'm a socialist. That's the reason why I hope you become a socialist because we're not puppets of these people. We have to try and take history ourselves into our own hands. And I'm sorry for the rant, but I'm determined. I, I, if, if you're sitting at home and saying, what should I do? You should join the Socialist Workers' Party, not because the Socialist Workers' Party, Socialist Workers' Party needs you, but also the working class needs leaders. And we need to train and prepare ourselves to get rid of these trash that are, are destroying our lives and, and dividing us. I'm going to stop there. Thank you, Eamon. And on that note, there is a link to join at the bottom of your screen. And also do check out what Stand Up to Racism is doing. The organisation that Wayman's a part of is building solidarity for the Black Lives Matter movement here to the US. They have a meeting tomorrow night and I know they did a protest at the US Embassy today. Um, that's all the time we've got this week. Uh, that's all we've got time for. We've had around 350 people watching. I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm just going to leave you with a couple things. The first is that we'll be back again next Saturday for a live SWP TV broadcast. And we hope to be joined by some Black Lives Matter activists from the States. 
Um, the second thing I want to say is that please do check out our bookshop, uh, Bookmarks Books. Uh, it's an independent socialist bookshop. Uh, get your lockdown reading or your sunbathing reading, which I believe is now legal in, from tomorrow or from Monday. Do go to Bookmarks. Don't get your books from Amazon and Jeff Bezos. Get your books from independent socialist bookshops like Bookmarks. The final thing I want to say is to pick up where Wayman left off, which is that if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, if you agree with it, then you should think about joining the Socialist Workers' Party. In the last week, more than ever, we've seen how there's a real battle now between our lives and a deadly system, whether it's the COVID crisis, whether it's what happening in, in America, whether it's the climate crisis. We need more socialists organising to put people before profit. So if you'd like to do that, go to the link right here at the bottom of the screen, bit.ly forward slash join the SWP. That's all we've got time for this week. Stay safe, stay socialist, join the resistance. Thank you very much for watching.